page. Go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. We believe in taking notes here at Victory. I believe in taking notes, and one day I will convince the rest of you that it is a good idea to do that. If you want to pull up the Victory Church app, we have a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes there for you as well. Every verse, every point uh, is there. If you like fill-in-the-blank, as I do, uh, it will do that. If you get it wrong, it fills it in for you. We cannot make it easier than that, everybody. All right, so we tried, and we couldn't. We couldn't make it any easier. So go ahead and grab that out. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time in the narrative of the Christmas story today. A couple other verses for you, but we'll pretty much just kind of walk through the chapter. While you are turning there, let's start this morning with a question, all right? How many of you, we talked about Christmas, how many of you are 100% done, ready for Christmas already? You have done everything, right? A few hands, okay, not, not ready to open presents, like you're ready for everything, though. You have done it all. Okay, how many of you... You people are amazing. That is insane. You're already ready. How many of you are like 90%? You got a few little things to tie up, some knickknacks, something like that. All right, good. How many of your hair is on fire? Come on, somebody. Like you have, you have one week and Amazon faked you out with the shipping dates and so nothing is coming in time. How many of you are with me on that one? Anybody, you have nothing prepared. Your wife says she doesn't care what the present is. You don't believe her. How many are in that? You're <laughs> Anybody in this boat? There we go. We're, we're in the boat together. That's the only... All right, not me. How many of you just gave up and watched Elf 30 times? That's just your, anybody, just, that's your Christmas tradition. You just do that. Uh, it's a great season, everybody. We're all at this. Season. You know, back when we started this series, uh, back at the beginning of December, I told you, we had this conversation, right? That we would have to put up a little bit of a fight this year not to get swept away uh, in the Christmas season. And I kind of explained that to you, that there is no other season on earth. There's no other time of our lives or part of the year where this kind of advertisement campaign is carpet bombed on our life. That this idea of that everything will be perfect this Christmas. I know it wasn't last Christmas or the one before that, but this year, no matter what happened, no matter how the year went, no matter what things occurred, that this Christmas... Everything would come together. This is the Christmas you would get the Red Rider BB gun. This is the Christmas, right? You get the bonus check to put the pool in. This is the Christmas. All things, you get that gift that finally makes everything make sense and your whole life come together. This is the Christmas your spouse buys you the brand new Lexus or whatever it is, right? Outside, they, all, the car, all the commercials, all the ad campaigns, everything is targeted that this will be the year it comes together. And honestly, we have become so uh, enamored by that. We finally, this prevailing campaign, we've been so taken in by it that sociologists have to come up with a name for what happens to us after Christmas is over. It's called the Christmas blues, everybody, right? That December 26th, something happens to us when all of these promises don't quite pan out. Because right now around us, in the world around us, it is more filled with light and joy and Christmas trees and things. You are doing things to your home that you don't do the rest of the year, right? You got stockings up and lights or a tree or whatever it is. And then somewhere around December 26th, all of that goes away. Now, for some of you, it's like June is when you take your Christmas tree down. We, that's a whole nother sermon, all right? We'll deal with that later. But for most of us around this, around our world, around most of the shops and things you see, everything starts to turn off or come down. And instead of filling us with joy, the season, honestly, most of the time is bred to fill us with discouragement or discontent at the end of it. And we're filled with disappointment. And so we decided we're going to take a little bit different of a 
approach, maybe a little different look at Christmas this year. Now, listen to me. I want you to do Christmas big, all right? This is not something I told you the first week. My family, we love Christmas. We got three small kids. We are doing it big. We're having a blast. Have Christmas. This is not flush your eggnog. Christmas trees are for pagans type of thing, all right? That's not what this is. But what I told you is we're just going to maybe look a little bit differently at the way that we celebrate and a little bit differently at what we are celebrating because we're not, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not just celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating Advent. And Advent is just a Latin word that means the coming or the arrival. It's the idea that Christians for a couple of thousand years now have been celebrating not just that Christ came. That's incredible. That's such an incredible moment in the history. Not this that he came, though, but that he's at work today. And not just that he's at work today, but that one day he's returning. That's why I love the last song that we sing. Let this be the day that we shout with joy. But then one day we will shout with the generations. And it's this idea that we celebrate Christmas, Christ, the child born. We celebrate God at work, Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the world today. And then we celebrate one day the returning king. That's what the celebration of Advent. So we looked a little bit differently at what it actually means. Because there is a day coming when all of our desires and all of our thoughts, everything will be made new. Everything that we do desire, everything that will satisfy us is made new. And so in that opportunity we have, we have as Christians to celebrate is that one day he is returning. That one day everything that we think will satisfy us actually will. Because what we celebrate today, this Christmas, is not everything being made new. It won't happen on December 25th, 2022. I just have to kind of burst your bubble this year. It won't all happen because what we celebrate is just a shadow of what will come. But we celebrate it's just a shadow of what will actually be on its way. In fact, you're probably going to be reminded this way. I promise it won't happen this Christmas season, even though the ads promise you it will. Because chances are you'll be reminded this week of why you don't like uncle so-and-so. Come on, somebody. Or why you don't like those in-laws. Or why you don't... Come on, can we have real talk in church today? We can have a little bit of... I got to lie to you, everybody. Is that what we need to have happen here? You'll probably be reminded of those things because it's just a shadow of what will occur. Regardless of how amazing the gifts are, I promise you, it will fade. If you're a child, it will break. Come on, somebody. It will break probably by the first of the year. And so, praise God for the week of how great is this trinket. But it gives way. It gives way because it's just a shadow of what will actually be the reality. So, yes, let's get trees, let's get gifts, let's do it big, everybody. All right, let's drink hot chocolate because it's no longer 85 degrees and muggy. Come on, somebody, just let's, let's do these things big, but let's start to turn our attention towards things that last all throughout the year. Let's put our attention and our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. Let's have this moment as we have just a few, maybe 20, 30 minutes together as a church, and let's focus on some things. And so we started the series saying we're going to focus on some attributes of God at Christmas Looking at the attributes of God through the Christmas story. And so week one, we talked about God, the deliverer, God who brought his people out of Egypt, but then God who sent his son to forgive us and free us from our sins. Week two, we talked about God, the compassionate, that God in his compassion, that the the fact that he does anything at all reveals his mercy and his compassion. And then week three, I want to talk about God, the glorious, about the glory of God through the lens of the Christmas story. So Luke chapter two. Some of you had your finger in here for like three hours already. You're like, where have you guys been, right? You're ready. So we're back here. Luke chapter two, we'll start in verse eight and we'll have it up on the screens. We're kind of read through the story and then we'll talk a little bit about what's happening in this narrative. And in the same region, it says there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled 
with great fear. We're going to come back to that in a second, all right? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now watch what they do. When the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they told them what the angel had told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, there's a lot going on in the chapter, all right? So we're going to dive right in uh, as we study this particular part of the Christmas story. First thing is, if you wanted this story to be believable, the first part of this story that honestly would have struck everybody as unbelievable at this time and age, if you wanted this story of Jesus coming, of God being born on earth, and you wanted people to believe you when you said it, the most unthinkable thing you could think is that shepherds would be involved in this at all. Like that they would even enter this narrative in any way. Because I'm sure Mary was all pumped to have a baby and then have a bunch of sweaty shepherds show up at the baby. That's just what she was just very excited about. But the idea that the shepherds would even come in any way to this announcement of God's birth on earth would have made this the most unthinkable. Because listen to me, shepherds have been redeemed in Scripture, all right? The image of the shepherd has... David did a lot to redeem it in the Psalms, because remember, David was a shepherd, and so I think he worked overtime to try to make it seem like shepherds were these great things. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right, everybody? Abraham, Moses, all tied to shepherding. This image has been redeemed. But in first century Israel, in Judea, in first century, they have moved from rural now, from kind of nomads to cities. And so the role of shepherd has been greatly diminished. And when I say that, I say that with no hyperbole, everybody. They are like the lowest on the societal totem pole. Like these shepherds are the outcast of society. They are smelly. They are dirty. They are unclean. They are seen by society as thieves and vagrants, preferring the company of animals to the company of people. Now that doesn't sound so bad to us, right? Come on, somebody. But these are what the shepherds as viewed at in this society. In fact, even the pious Jews wouldn't buy wool or milk from shepherds because they just automatically assumed that it was stolen. And they just figured it was, what would happen is they would take the sheep out to graze, the flock would multiply, they'd have lambs, and the shepherds would steal the lambs because no one could count them when they came back in from the fields. And then they would profit from their theft. And so there was this boycott among the super pious Jews of whether or not they would buy from shepherds or not. And the shepherds would then be given their pay in sheep. And so even the honest shepherds couldn't benefit from it because they were so ostracized by society. This is what's occurring at this moment in the story. In fact, a Jewish rabbi wrote about Psalm 23 that there is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. Now, I can think off the top of my head three or four more that have existed back then that are. But this is the view of society towards the shepherds. Vagrants and thieves and dirty, even the most honest among them, because of their handling of animals and the lifestyle that they led, wouldn't be allowed in the temple to worship or to congregate. They couldn't hold public office. Their testimony was not allowed in a court of law. This is how they are treated in society. Despised and rejected, seen as wicked and depraved. And yet moments after Jesus is born, 
moments after the greatest event that had ever occurred on the earth to that point, moments after this happens, the announcement goes not to the religious elites. It doesn't go to the, the top of the top of the political strata. It doesn't do it. It comes to these shepherds, which I think is hilarious, by the way. If you're not reading humor in your Bible, you are missing it. Because the, the announcement that does go to the rich and powerful, right? The three magi, they get like a star in the sky. And like they have to break a code and they have to travel long distance. They have to do all this stuff. The shepherds just get to waltz right into the main. It's incredible to me how this just pictures who what Jesus really is. That is just bottom shelf for these guys. It's, it's ability for them to have this announcement made to them. And the ones who weren't allowed to go into the temple to worship, God went to them. God came to them, made the announcement that Jesus was born. And so they have this appear before them. these shepherds, these ostracized in this image of what Jesus was really all about. They have this announcement made to them in the fields. And it says, in the glory of God shone all around, not the rabbis who woke up really early to study the Torah that morning. Not the guys who washed their hands 17 times. Not the ones who were making sure everybody behaved in the temple. Not the ones who were, you know, hanging around. All the, Not any of those, but it came to the shepherds. And the glory of God shone around them. And if I gave you a list of what the audience should be for the announcement, the greatest announcement ever made on earth, you would not crack the top 100 with these shepherds. And yet God announced to them. And we see what happens when the glory of God shows up. We're going to see what happens when God's glory is shown around them. Because listen to me, just to kind of set the scene for you. Yes, we know they're shepherds. Yes, we know. But it is the middle of the night, everybody, all right? And so kind of set the scene. It is nighttime. There are stars. The shepherds are out in the fields. And we know from excavations of the dig sites that this is, this is where they would set up the field stones. And they would make kind of an enclosure and put all of the sheep in there for the night. And there would be one opening and the shepherd would lay across it. And so if a sheep tried to get out in the night, he'd grab it and throw it back in. Come on, it's like your kids. Everybody, anybody had kids who sleepwalk? It's amazing. They just throw them, throw them back in bed. But this is what they would do because it would come out of his pay if he lost a sheep. And then if a predator tried to get in, the shepherd could jump up and defend against the predator. So he is tuned in to everything that's happening around him. It is a quiet night, middle of the night, pitch dark, stars in the sky. And he's listening for like the rustle of leaves because it could be a predator or like like the grass moving because the sheep might be trying to get out. He's listening. His ears are in. If, but if the volume level is set, it's like a two. Middle of the night, shepherd is attuned. His ears are listening for whatever could happen. And all of a sudden, crack in the middle of it, an angel appears. And the glory of God shines around these shepherds. And they are filled with great... I don't know if you can imagine this moment from a two to like a fifty in the middle of these shepherds. This is, you can, it's, it's good to have humor in the Bible. You can imagine this moment that this poor shepherd, we would have lost our minds, everybody. I would probably have lost my, and the only analogy I could come up with is in my truck, I have a little Bluetooth uh, FM transmitter. Come on, you probably have one of those if your car is as old as mine is. And so it's a little Bluetooth transmitter that transmits on FM and you can listen to it and have, you know, whatever it is, Apple Music, Spotify, going down the road. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the longer you drive in the car, the louder you turn up the volume. It's just a thing. I don't know why it is, but the music, you just get more into it. And so you turn up the volume a little bit more. Well, my little FM transmitter has an incredible function that it will auto-regulate itself. That after I turn off the car, if I'm listening at like a 40 and I turn off my car, when I turn it back on, it's at like a 5. So I can turn it up when I want to. It's incredible. It, it saves me from, you know... I don't know, losing my mind every time I turn my car on. The radio in my truck does not have that feature. And so if I'm listening to the radio at 40 and I forget and turn off my truck and I come back, 
It is at 40, everybody. I don't know if you've ever had complete silence turn into complete pandemonium. That is what happened to that shepherd that night. That he's at a zero, he is attuned to the rest of the world, and suddenly, in his mind, this entire light, the sky shines, it lights up, his entire world is blown apart, and an angel is standing there saying, fear not. Come on, it's just funny, that's just my... That's just my, I don't care if you think, I think it's funny. That's just my thing of that. But jot it down if you're taking notes. Verse 9, watch this in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. First one, jot it down if you're taking notes. First thing that happens when the glory of God shows up is it reveals. It exposes. It reveals us for who we are. And I don't think we like that too often. And so many times in our own lives, when the glory of God shows up, it reveals us not just for who we think we are. And we have to make that distinction, everybody, but for who we actually are. Because one of the things that the most consistent things that people will tell to me when we talk about religion or when we have any kind of conversation, if I'm out and somebody finds out that I'm a pastor, I try to hide it sometimes. Come on, somebody. Just it leads to conversations many times. But if they find out, a lot of times the conversation I will have, most of the time I've noticed is most people think that they are good people. There is no idea or any kind of any idea that enters their head or concept of God being upset or God being in any way, God being frustrated with them at all or with sin or with anything that they have. And now listen to me here, just a kind of a glimpse uh, into the difficulty of preaching. And that is some of you do feel that weight. There are those that I come in contact with that do have that concept of, yes, I I know that I am a sinner, but I know that God gives grace. And listen to me, if you are in that place where you are so desperate for forgiveness or healing or mercy, I want to minister to your heart. I I do. It's It's my greatest joy to be able to present the forgiveness and the love of God to you. But those who are self righteous and hard hearted, I just want to smack you upside the head with the word of God, all right? Like, that's just, it's the, you just have to trust the Holy Spirit when you preach sometimes. That's just what you have to do. And so too many times those with hard hearts and they think they think they're a good person because good honestly is a sliding scale. It's relative in so many people's estimation of it. Good is just, well, am I good today? Am I good compared? Or am I good in that scenario? Am I good? Good is just a sliding. It's relative to the person who's making the statement. Here's what I mean by that. When I was 16... I got inspired by the 04 Athens Olympics. Come on, somebody. If you watch those in 04, I was 16 years old watching on TV. I saw all those gymnasts doing crazy things on the high bars and the pommel horse and all those, you know, flips and jumps and things. And I got in my head this stupid idea that I can do that. Like that is something that I am capable of doing. That is, I don't know where it came from. It certainly didn't come from God, but it entered my head, everybody. And so I rolled down here to CG's gym over here on Florida Boulevard. And I walked in and I said, yeah, I want to sign up for gymnastics. And so then you fill out the little form, right? Like name, age, any previous experience. I'm like, nope, I saw it on the Olympics. I think I can do it. That guy did not bat an eye, everybody, all right? Which is just a life lesson for you that no business will ever turn away your money. I just want to give you that. It does not matter if you are about to kill yourself doing gymnastic things that your body was not made to do. They will take your hard-earned money and they will be happy. Home Depot will sell you the transformer. Every, they will not turn you away, everybody. So just keep that in your mind. That's free. That's not that has anything to do with today. But I'm signed up, right? And I did. I almost ended up killing myself. That's a story for another day. But I signed up. I'm there. I show up for my first practice. And there is no fancy pommel horse for me. There are no high bars. There are no rings. I am in the tiny tiger's track. Come on, it is, 
<laughs> and I'm like, tiny tigers, is that, what is that? Is that like a metaphor? Is that a thing? I show, what that means is every once a week on Tuesday evenings for one hour, me and 14 four and five-year-olds are in the beginner tumbling course at CG's gym. And we're running around. We even had t-shirts made. I threw off the whole t-shirt order, right? Like it's 14, 14 child smalls and one adult medium. It was amazing. We just had to... But we're there. And so before the instructors would come out, my friends and I, my new friends and I, we would do all the warm-ups and stretching and the running and the jumping. And we jump in the pit. And I would do the bunny hops for you this morning. But I want to save what little shred of respect I have left in your mind. But we would do those things together. Now, listen to me. I don't know if you have ever seen a picture of David and Goliath. Maybe you have. Maybe you've seen a painting. But me and my 14-year-old, my 14 five-year-old friends quite envision David and Goliath in your mind. Because we're running around, right? We have to do sit-ups. I am crushing them at sit-ups. We have to run around the little tumble mat. I am speed made flesh, everybody. I am like, I'm the fastest thing you have ever seen. We have to climb the rope. I'm like shoving kids left and right. I'm going to win the prize and ring the little bell. I, I am strength made flesh on this earth. I am the greatest, the fastest, the strongest. I, you've never seen someone compete like I competed, everybody. It was amazing. Wish you could have seen it. I really do. I wish you could have. We, we do not have footage of that. It was all burned 10 years ago. But I am against these guys. I am the strongest thing. But what happens after we have stretched and gotten ready? Then the instructors come in the room. And then all the advanced classes start doing their things around us. Now am I fast? No. Now am I strong? No. Now am I flexible like a gymnast? Absolutely not, everybody. I am not. All it took was somebody else to walk in the room. And now I go from king of the world to now I'm the four and five-year-old. All it took was somebody else to walk in the room. Am I unstoppable now? No. Am I easy to beat? Absolutely. All it took was somebody else to say, and see, we think we're good. We think that we are good people because oftentimes we are comparing ourselves to four-year-olds. Oftentimes we are comparing ourselves to the easy. When the glory of God shows up, it reveals us for who we really are. It reveals us in every bit of our swagger, every bit of our confidence, every bit of our self-justification melts away in light of his glory melts away in light. The glory of God exposes us. It reveals. And they're in the middle of the field, the middle of nowhere. Nobody sees them. Nobody knows what's going on. I just have to believe the glory of God did not interrupt a Bible study that night. All right. I just have to, I'm just going to, in my holy imagination, it didn't, the angel didn't show up and they were like, good, you're here, angel. We were studying Deuteronomy seven. And like, we were, we just need your help to memorize. Can you help us out? That's not what he interrupted. The glory of God reveals us for who we really are. And oftentimes we can justify that we're good and that we're doing great. But when the holiness of God shows, when the king walks in the room, all of our self-righteousness melts away. And we see this repeatedly in the word of God. What did Isaiah say when he laid eyes on God? He said, woe is me from a man of unclean lips or from an unclean people. When John, who was the disciple loved by Jesus, when John, who was knew Jesus, walked with him, when he saw the resurrected Christ in Revelation, bringing that revelation at Patmos, what did he do? He fell down like he was dead. When God shows up, it reveals us for who we are. We're made aware, honestly, of our need of a Savior, of our desperate need. Glory of God reveals, but it's not all it does. Verse 10, watch this. It says, And the angel said to them, Now fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ 
the Lord. Now, I love this. When the glory of God shows up, it drives out fear. And honestly, it drives out fear and replaces it with joy. Because the angel does two things in the first thing that he tells these shepherds. Watch this. It exposes, yes, where we've fallen short. Yes, the glory of God reveals our innermost evil. It reveals our deepest thoughts. You know you have nothing hidden from God. I love that God knows our inmost thoughts. He knows our motives. i just be straight with you guys. Most of the time, I don't even know my motive behind doing things, but God knows them all. God knows even our hidden things. Yes, it reveals those things inside. Yet listen to what the angel says, fear not, which seems impossible, right? Like not only for the shepherds, it seems impossible for us, for the angel to say, fear not. It seems with a God who hates injustice and evil, a God who wars against sin, a God who hates all of these things, a holy God who is righteous, who is just, who hates sin and rages against injustice to tell us, fear not. It seems impossible, but he says, fear not, for I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will drive out the fear in your heart of the wrath of God. Good news that drives out the fear in our heart of a God that would judge injustice and evil. He says, what is the good news that would make us not fear? What is the good news that would make us? And that is found in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We all know John 3.16. Listen to me, 3.17, I think, is just as world-changing, if not more so. That it says, for Jesus did not come, watch this in 3.17, to condemn the world. It says he sent his son that the world could be saved, for God sent his son not to condemn the world. This is why we fear not. This is why we can be in the presence of a God who hates injustice and sin with all the passion and strength of the universe. But we can be in relationship with him because of this verse. It says he didn't send him to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That we see our need of a savior. The glory of God reveals who we actually are. But then we lose our fear because of the good news of Christ. That he has redeemed us. This is the shepherds are getting this good news. And listen to me, Jesus wasn't born as a baby with a little sword and a list of people to kill for not following the law, right? As much as the Pharisees would wish that he was. That's not what he came into the world to do. He didn't come to condemn, he came to save. This is the message of the gospel. And honestly, when I read this story of the shepherds, and I think about this idea, this fear they felt, the angel says, fear not, there is good news. I think about this because too often times, and this is something, I'll just get on my soapbox. I'm probably going to do it for the rest of my life. This is something near to my heart. Too many times Jesus is preached as condemnation to people. Too many times, it, maybe we mean to or not, but too many times it's presented as you better get straight quick because the fires of hell are coming. And we preach this idea of Jesus in this condemnation message. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Jesus is the life raft in a sea of distress and dysfunction and sin and condemnation. He is our salvation. And we are called to preach that to those. We have received so great a mercy. And so we share that with others that God made a way for us when we could not make a way for ourselves. Jot this down if you're taking notes, then when God's glory shows up, it creates trust in God's word. It creates this trust inside of us. Verse 15, as we walk through the narrative, when the angels went away, watch this, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I love this about the shepherds, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known 
to us. Now, I love this, just his reasoning, the text, because we see this happening. in the text. He says, let us go see what the Lord has made known. You remember last week we talked about Zechariah in the temple, that an angel came to him and he wouldn't believe him. We have the flip side of this now. The shepherds hear what the angels tell them and they say, let's go see what God told us is going to happen. And what I found in my own heart, if I'm not careful, my faith can kind of develop ruts. I don't know if this is true for you or not, but in my own life, my faith can kind of just go into these very well-worn, well, I know what is right, and so I better just do it. Or maybe in Zachariah's case, I prayed for this thing and I didn't see it, so I'm just going to kind of leave that somewhere else. And we can develop ruts in our belief in God, but this childlike wonderment that the shepherds have, this ability to believe, and the shepherds didn't hear the word of the Lord and stop and say, you know what, did that really happen? Like, Suddenly it was dark again. Suddenly the angels are gone. They went back to... The shepherds didn't like get in a circle and be like, let's theorize about this. Come on, let's talk a little bit about what just happened. Like, can God actually send angels? Does he really... What do angels do? What do they represent in the Torah? Like, what? let's talk. Let's, have, let's theorize what might have... They didn't do any of that. They said, no, God said it. Let's go see it. They said, God said it to us. Let's go see what God promised us. And so they head off believing that what God told them would be where it was said it would be. Let us be marked like that, church. Let us be marked with this idea that God said it, so let's go see it. God said it would happen, and so let's go see it. Let our lives be marked with that childlike wonderment. When I read in the Word of God that generosity and compassion towards others pleases the heart of God, that it changes the inner man, I want to be able to say, God said it, let's go see it. When I read these ideas that God wants us to reach out to the less fortunate, when he wants us to reach out to those around us to show mercy that we have been shown, I want to believe that God said it, so let's go see it. When it says that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, I want us to believe that God said it, let's go see it. Let that childlike wonderment rise up in our hearts, church. Let us be like the shepherds who say our God said it. Let's go see what the Lord has told us about They said, let's go see this confidence that what God said would be waiting for them was waiting for them. I told you in Advent, we are celebrating not only that Christ came, not only that he's at work, but that one day he will return again. I think sometimes every generation has struggled with this. This idea that maybe what, when is he coming? What is it? Let's just live our lives with that faith. God said it. We're going to see it. God said it. Let's go see it. When we live our lives and we experience discouragement. When we have these things that come and we believe that the peace of God can fill every portion of our life, God said it, let's go see it. It's this faith that rises up inside of us. The glory of God brings trust in the word of God. And finally, this morning, when the glory of God shows up, it changes our outlook on our day-to-day lives. Because watch this in this. Let me show you verse 20. The shepherds watch. The shepherds did what? They returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me tell you again why I like this. The shepherds show up. They found baby Jesus, just like the angel said. They tell everybody there, this is what God showed us. And everybody's amazed at what they said. They worship. They have this amazing encounter. They go back rejoicing and glorifying. And they head back down the street, going back to sheep. Going back to the lives they just left. Because listen to me, nothing has changed in the social standing of the shepherds. It's not like they found baby Jesus, they saw what the angel said, and now their testimony is admissible in a court of law. 
It's not like they found baby Jesus and they worshiped and now all of society treats them as these great men of renown. It's not like they suddenly showed up and worshiped and they saw what God had promised them and now suddenly their lives are made easier and they're not seen as vagrants or whatever it is. They're, suddenly nothing has changed in the life of these shepherds, yet they go back rejoicing anyway because they've seen the glory of God. Listen to me, the glory of God invades our space, our lives. Whether it's like the shepherds in this outcast of society, whether it's in disappointments or things that we live our lives in, whatever space you live in, wherever it is, the glory of God invades that space. And honestly, it leaves us in a place where joy is the bedrock we live from instead of based on our circumstances. Because the shepherds have this joy they have found and now they're still in the same spot. They still in the eyes of society can't be trusted, can't be. None of that is fixed. Yet they go back rejoicing and the joy and the glory of God puts joy honestly in the highs and the lows of our life. That we begin to live from this joy of what God has done rather than what circumstances are trying to do. That as Christians, we live out of this bedrock of joy because where are they going? They're going back to being shepherds. Back to sheep, but having experienced the compassion and the mercy and seeing God's plan for this world, they are filled with joy anyway. How much more us, church, having seen and experienced the deliverance and the compassion and the mercy of God, how much more should we become experts in the joy that God brings instead of experts in everything that goes wrong in our world? Because we can be really, really, really good experts of everything that we think is going wrong. You know the little activity they give kids for... Uh, Sunday school on Thanksgiving, where you just kind of write down, I am thankful to God for this. That might be a good practice for some of us and our families this Christmas time. Of things that we are thankful to God for. Because here's where we have it backwards. We think our lives have to be how we want them to be, and then we'll be grateful. We think the things we need to happen have to happen first, and then we can live lives of gratefulness. So we need to experience joy, and then we'll be grateful. When actually the inverse is true, it's when we start to live out of gratefulness for the billions and billions of mercies that God has shown us, then we begin to live from the bedrock of joy as Christians that we are supposed to live from, that we can draw from. Not experts in the wrong that everybody does around us, but in the compassion and the love of God. And it's not all at once. I know that. I understand. It is a process. 2 Corinthians says it this way. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Beholding the glory and being transformed. It's a process. It's, it's happening a little by little. Transform the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And see, we're beholding Jesus. Beholding the glory of the Lord. The thing I told you it does, it changes our outlook. We're beholding this glory of God, the weight of God. And it's changing us into the image of Jesus. And it is a process. In this kind of microwave, I want everything, you know, to happen all at once culture we live in. I want all my pain to disappear and suffering to end. All of those things. The Bible is saying, no, no, I, keep your eyes on Jesus. I'll change every part of you. But it's a process. It takes time. And listen to me. I, I get it. For myself included, I think I need to live another 4,000 years before I even, like, move an inch up this scale of looking like Jesus. And being a part of the church, if you're around us for any, any measure of time, I have this problem that I, when I am around people of God, I have so many people I know of all ages that are further in their walk with Jesus than I am. 
And when you look at them and you see heroes of the faith and you see pillars of the spiritual community and you look at what they have and you think, I could never be that. I could never do what they do. Listen to me. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's a process. What, like they have some special version of Jesus, like they got the the varsity Holy Spirit and you got the JV. Like that's not how it works, everybody. But it's a process. And so if you feel discouraged looking at that, listen to me, it's a process. Fixing our eyes on Jesus and then step by step we're being turned into the image of God. Every one of us fixes our eyes on him. Every one of us has come from so far away that we are being transformed into the likeness. And so wherever you are on your journey, don't be discouraged by others who are farther along. Be encouraged by them. That it is possible that step by step he is turning us into the image of Jesus. So what would it look like, maybe today, a step, one step at a time, that we leave here with our eyes fixed on him, with the idea that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it? Maybe step by step, one step at a time, in the car, on the ride home, you just look at your spouse, and you say, hey, I'm so grateful for the things that you do, and the things that you do bring to the table, instead of all the things that I think you should be doing. Maybe step by step, you look at your kids and you say, hey man, or hey, I just, I just appreciate all that you bring to the family. You're just a light when you do this. Instead of being an expert in all the things they do wrong, step by step, we start to be grateful for all the things that God has given us in our families. Can you imagine step by step how that wars against the busyness and the stress of this season? Can you imagine what it could do, not only just in your family, but in our church as a whole, that step by step, he's turning us into the likeness of Jesus. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, we just ask for your mercy towards us. God, as we take steps this season, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, as we take steps to become more and more like Jesus, we just ask for your mercy and your grace in the middle of it. God, that we know we can't do it on our own strength. We know we can't figure it all out in our own intelligence, but God, we just ask for your help and your strength. And Lord, we fix our eyes on you one more time that you would remind us as we celebrate, not only that you were born, not only that you came to rescue us, not only you are at work, but that one day, one day soon, we are fixing our eyes on the return of Christ. Now keep praying, church. Before we go, I want to give one final invitation. And that is, I know a whole lot of us have a lot in common with the shepherds. And honestly, if you don't have anything in common with the shepherds, you probably have a lot in common with the Pharisees. But if you're here today and you're listening to this story, and maybe it's finally starting to make sense about what the Christmas story is all about. And maybe it's finally starting to make sense that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to rescue us. Maybe for the first time you're hearing that, that God loves you, that God wants you, that God came to rescue you. And if you're in that place, it would be my honor to invite you to follow Jesus. I'm not inviting you to join a church. I'm not inviting you to give money. I'm not inviting you to go to some room off. To, I want to invite you right now to follow Jesus. Jesus who came to rescue you. Jesus who is at work through the Holy Spirit in the world today. Jesus who is coming again. And our church... We have dedicated ourselves to pray with anybody who wants to follow him. It's the honor of our lives to lead others because all of us found ourselves in need of a savior. All of us 
needed a spiritual hospital. All of us came and some of us maybe came a little bit earlier than others. Some of us showed up in this hospital, but all of us need a savior. All of us were lost in our sins. And so this morning, if you'd like to make that decision, it'd be our honor to pray with you. It's a prayer of surrender. And it's a prayer of promise. It simply says, Jesus, I'll follow you. And so if you'd like to pray that with us, every head is bowed. I'm not looking to embarrass you. Just want to introduce you to Jesus. So come on, let's pray that prayer together. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. For all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus name. And all God's church said amen. And amen. Come on church. Can we put our hands together for what God has done today? Hey church. Stand up with me if you would. I wanted to end this morning a little differently. We're just going to end in worship. And honestly, this is what we would call our Advent song. This is talking about not only that Jesus came, not only that he's at work, but that he is coming again. And so I wanted to end before we go into the Christmas week, just in worship. Before we go into all the stress of this last two weeks of the year, I just wanted as one church to sing and to worship together. Come on, can we lift our voices? Can we end this service just in worship of our King? Let's sing together. Come on. How I long to bring the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with you for all eternity There will be So let it be, so let it be.